Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 517. Hey, if you're listening to us in the Boston area and hearing us on 590 WEZE in Boston, well, you won't hear us there next week. We're being swapped from sister station WROL this week only and coming to you on a delayed basis today. We'll be back live on 950 WROL next week. Check out our website for more info on how to find us, talkingbirds.com. No G in talking. How about some little signs of spring here on the 15th of March, if you're hearing us live? How about an osprey? Reported at a nesting site at West Dennis Beach on Cape Cod. And rusty blackbirds, a species of great concern that we'll talk about on an upcoming show. Being seen all over, it seems. Turkey vultures are being reported in lots of places, including a report yesterday in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And in the non-bird category, skunk cabbages, among the first plants to emerge in spring, starting to appear in wetlands and on stream sides, their pungent aroma attracting pollinators like flies and beetles. And by the way, did you know that while not considered edible raw, the leaves of skunk cabbage can be dried and used in soups and stews? Yuck. No. Here's our conservation salute of the week. It's a bird conservation salute to the city of San Jose, California, which has just become the fourth and largest California city to enact bird-friendly building guidelines to reduce the risk of bird collisions with windows and facades. San Jose is following the lead of San Francisco, Oakland, and Sunnyvale, California. San Jose's guidelines are based on standards developed by our friends at the American Bird Conservancy and will be applied citywide on a voluntary basis. Now let's head up to check up north with our Canadian contributor, Charlotte Wasilik. Alberta bound, Alberta bound. It's good to be bound. Here we go with our latest installment of Charlotte's weblog coming to us from Alberta, Canada. Good morning, Charlotte. What's up? Good morning, Ray. This week, I stopped at my grandmother's house to watch the Canadian Curling Championships on TV. When I wasn't watching the curling, I was watching the birds at her feeders, and I saw white-breasted nuthatches, hairy woodpeckers, a dark-eyed junco, and a handful of hoary red poles mixed in with the common red poles. My parents also saw four Canada geese on the way to Edmonton last week, our first sighting for this year. On my blog, I have a post about one of my birding outings in France, and in my post you can see photos of tufted ducks, black-headed gulls, a European robin, and a great cormorant. You can find all my posts and photos on my blog, prairiebirder.wordpress.com. In international bird news, 
The Jordan's babbler, a species last seen in Burma in 1941, was presumed extinct until May 2014 when a team of scientists rediscovered the babbler in Burma. The scientists played sound recordings and one of the birds came up from the reed beds. This is excellent news for a species once thought to be extinct. Have a wonderful time in Panama, talking birds, and I can't wait to see your photos. I'll talk to you again next month. Thank you, Charlotte. Hey, be sure to check out that blog that Charlotte mentioned there, prairiebirder.wordpress.com. That's prairiebirder.wordpress.com. If you're a young birder, let us know. Let us know what you're up to. And maybe you have a question for Charlotte. She's great at answering questions, maybe especially for young birders. So send that in. We'll get it to Charlotte along with those pictures that she wants us to take. Well, our friends at Hunt's Photo and Video have provided us with a pretty cool camera. It's the Nikon P600. And this has, you will appreciate this if you do any photography, it has a 60x optical zoom. It's like looking through a telescope, except that it takes pictures. These new mega zoom cameras are so amazing. They're very compact and light, and yet you can get a full frame picture of a bird that you can barely see with the naked eye. So we hope we uh, do it. You know, we do that camera justice or come close to it <laughs> when we take our photos uh, in Panama. Next week, we'll be doing our show live from the famous Canopy Tower in the Soberanilla National Park in Panama next uh, Sunday, March 22nd. Still to come on our show today, if we could bring extinct birds and other creatures back into existence, should we do it? We'll speak to a man this morning who not only thinks we should, but is working on trying to do it. The extinction researcher Ben Novak will be here with us this morning. Meanwhile, get ready to jot down an all-important phone number so you can be the first to call in on our mystery bird contest for a chance to win a finch magnet. That's part of the new line of feeders from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. We'll be giving one away again today, or we're giving one away actually for the first time at that particular feeder today. A little later, we'll present a Let's Ask Mike segment that we call Cat Food for Your Cat Birds. And up next, a Midwest and Western bird that our friend Marsha Toey just reported seeing in her Cape Cod backyard is today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Is it possible for a bird whose head, throat, and chest are bright yellow to be a blackbird? Well, it is if you're Xanthocephalus Xanthocephalus. That translates to yellow head, yellow head. Yes, it's the yellow-headed blackbird, found in western and prairie wetlands, nesting in reeds right over the water. In winter, huge flocks of yellow-headed blackbirds roll across farm fields, gleaning seeds from the ground and leapfrogging over one another to regain the front rank in a marching herd of birds. Yellow-headed blackbirds often nest in the same marsh as red-winged blackbirds, which the yellowheads dominate and displace from prime nesting spots. And it kind of sounds like the yellowhead might be the dominant of the two species, Here's the familiar red-winged blackbird. And here's the more intense 
slightly maniacal sound of the yellow-headed blackbird. Sounds like vocal dominance on display. The male yellow-headed blackbird defends a small territory of prime nesting reeds. He may attract up to eight females to nest within his area. The male helps feed nestlings, but usually just in the first nest established in his territory. The other females have to tend to their young all by themselves and keep a close watch since with those nests always being built over the water, nestlings sometimes fall into the water and have to swim short distances to return to the relative safety of the reeds. The first detailed description of the yellow-headed blackbird was given in 1825 by Charles-Lucien Bonaparte, nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte, who may have referred to the bird by its French name Carouge à tête jaune, we know it as the yellow-headed blackbird and as today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us. It's our show number 517. And please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. We have lots of great pictures, many sent in by listeners on our Facebook page and on Instagram uh, sometimes as well. Ben Novak is a de-extinction researcher with an organization called Revive and Restore, whose stated mission is to enhance biodiversity through the genetic rescue of endangered and extinct species. And that latter category includes the heath hen, which disappeared seemingly forever in 1932 when the last member of its species expired on the Massachusetts island of Martha's Vineyard. Uh, ben is with us right now on the phone. Good morning, Ben. Oh, good morning, Ray. Great to have you with us. Uh, thank you. Ben, the idea of bringing back species that humans have helped ease into extinction certainly seems like a laudable goal, but with complications, no doubt. So why has your organization decided to take this on? Well, it was uh, sparked by the possibility of the extinction moving from science fiction to science reality. In the year 2012, uh, George Church, working at Harvard, was uh, pioneering several uh, works in genetic engineering. Uh, he knew Ryan Phelan and Stuart Brand, who founded Revive and Restore, and he was discussing with them the idea that these new genetic engineering technologies might make something like de-extinction real. Mm. And Stuart Brand, who has a long history with environmentalism and uh, the attempt to make technology useful to environmentalism, uh, his brain started working, and one thing led to another, and eventually projects started getting off the ground. Revive and Restore was formed, and, and then eventually after our project started, we were approached about considering the heath hen. So I know you have other uh, species in mind for de-extinction attempts, including some very iconic ones. But, uh, okay, why the heath hen? Well, the heath hen is somewhat different from our other projects. So, as you mentioned, we have several. 
uh, our flagship project, which I lead, is the Passenger Pigeon Project, mm-hmm. which no doubt also graced Martha's Vineyard at some point in time in the New England uh, with right. a New England native. The Passenger Pigeon Project is very uh, is very different from the Heath Inn. The Mammoth Project is very different from the Heath Inn. The Heath Inn Project was about the idea of habitat restoration, first and foremost. Hmm. Whether or not the things that a Heath Hen would need to live on Martha's Vineyard uh, were possible to restore, and how that might benefit living birds on the island. Hmm. And is it, the, is it the case that this bird, having disappeared not really so long ago, makes it somewhat easier to bring back? Well, that's a difficult thing to assess. Uh, in some cases, the longer a species has been extinct, the longer time that the environment has been able to rebound from whatever disturbances may have influenced its extinction. Hmm. With the heath hen, uh, the extinction was a combination of factors of uh, unregulated harvest um, and then uh, improper land management. Mm-hmm. And to this point... Uh, me being the more of the lab rat in this project, I'm not incredibly familiar with uh, the current state of the ecosystem in Martha's Vineyard. So our other project members, such as Tom Chase, uh, are much more, uh, much more knowledgeable about that. Mm-hmm. But it's been discussed at length among a lot of advisors from many different universities and many community members on the island. And it's feasible that the re- uh, this could have success if handled the right way and if the research goes in that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, for, uh, for us non-scientists, uh, we wonder, I think, uh, given that another species would be involved in trying to create a rebirth for the heath hen, would this bird, if this was successful, would it be exactly the same as heath hens before or would it be part of this other bird? So de-extinction has sprouted a lot of debate about definitions, and the, the most accurate way of thinking about a de-extinct version of an extinct species is that it is a, a reproduced ecotype of the extinct species. Hmm. So the basic process is you take a living species, a relative, and you engineer in bits of the extinct species DNA that allow the ecology and the form of an extinct species to be, re- to be recapitulated. And so this can be viewed as somewhat of a hybrid, um, but in the end, what it really is, is a living variant that carries the legacy of an extinct species. Interesting. Well, it's a controversial idea, Ben. Some people say you're playing God. Some say a reintroduced species would cause upheaval among extant species. And among your target species, along with the iconic ivory-billed woodpecker, is the passenger pigeon, as you mentioned, a bird that once numbered in the billions. Uh, what do you think the implications are of bringing back a bird that was able to reproduce in such astounding numbers? The implications for the Passenger Pigeon Project are uh, actually about ecology uh, in a, 
in not the same sense as the heat hen. While the heat hen is meant to be a project to stir discussion about habitat restoration, what could benefit birds like uh, the eastern towhee and harrier marsh hawk, the return of bobwhite quails and other ground nesters, mm-hmm. the passenger pigeon itself was an engineer of the ecosystem. So the idea of habitat restoration and the benefit of other species um, of certain patches of New England forest is the idea that the passenger pigeon would directly be part of that habitat restoration and rejuvenation. So large flocks of passenger pigeons would come into areas of forest and cause cause great upheaval, which tends to make people uh, panic and somewhat overreact and think it's a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but this actually created uh, forest regeneration, first successional forests, regrowth, which many species, uh, such as the woodcock, the eastern cottontail, uh, bobcats and others, really required in their life to be able to successfully uh, reproduce and survive. And without those recycling forest uh, habitats, many species in the eastern states are in decline and at risk. Hmm. Is there a timetable for these projects you have, Ben? Well, the Passenger Pigeon Project is our most uh, active project, along with uh, the Woolly Mammoth. Mm -hmm. And the Passenger Pigeon Project, we hope to be able to produce newly created passenger pigeons by 2022. But that's that's all done with the support of the public. So we are an organization that works with private funds. Anyone can donate. Anyone can help spread the word. And... With the appropriate amount of attention and discussion, I think these projects can proceed in in 10 to 15-year increments. With the Heath Hen, this is an exploratory project right now. We're sequencing genomes. We're trying to discover whether or not there really was something unique about Heath Hens that makes them different from their living relatives, and whether or not this is the kind of thing that will be feasible long-term. There are a lot of questions about working on an island and whether or not the island can sustain a uh, large enough popu- population long-term, and whether or not this is going to be a community-driven project. We really want these projects to be driven by communities and uh, and the public and emerging generations. This really isn't about us. It's uh, about thinking long-term and thinking responsibly about our position in conservation. Ben Novak is a de-extinction researcher with Revive and Restore, which aims to bring back, among other creatures, the passenger pigeon, the ivory-billed woodpecker, the woolly mammoth, and the heath hen. Ben, thank you, and good luck. We'll be following your progress. Thank you. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Public ferry service to the Boston Harbor Islands has ended for the season, but you can still visit the beautiful Boston Harbor Islands peninsulas open year-round. World's End in Hingham, Deer Island in Winthrop, Webb Memorial Park in Weymouth, and Nut Island in Quincy. They're connected to the mainland and accessible by car, offering stunning views of Boston Harbor and its islands, plus birding, hiking, biking, and cross-country skiing. Enjoy your national park all year long. For more information, please visit bostonharborislands.org. Here on Talking Birds Now, a message from our friends at Ducks Unlimited. Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been a world leader in wetlands conservation, ensuring safe passage for nature's most beautiful creations. 
protection against flooding, and sanctuary for the human soul. If we don't want to grow old in a world without wild places, we must speak up, we must step up, so that we may fill the skies for generations to come. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. On the Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. We'll give you the phone number and urge you to call as soon as you can because we only have nine minutes or about eight minutes really left on the show, so... Uh, we have to hurry along. The number is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Our prize is one of the beautiful new feeders, part of the new line of feeders from Droll Yankees. It's the Onyx Clever Clean 12-inch Finch Magnet, which, as we said a few weeks ago, draws birds in like a magnet. Exactly. That's the Finch Magnet from Droll Yankees. <laughs> 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Really a different sounding bird. Such a unique quality. To me, it sounds kind of like it's singing from inside a bottle. That's how I always think of this bird. Our brown-backed mystery bird dwells in damp, deciduous forests where it forages on the ground for insects during the breeding season and feeds on fruit in late summer and fall. Our bird features tawny brown upper parts, a buff-colored chest and throat with kind of indistinct reddish-brown spots, a grayish-white belly, pale legs and feet, and dark eyes. It's a member of the thrush family. Little description there of the sound of our mystery bird. What do you think it is? If you know, by all means, tell us. If you want to take a guess, we'll do that because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. So give us a call here and tell us what you think. 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, cat food for your cat birds? the topic of our Let's Ask Mike segment in just one minute. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forest can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. If we continue to consume our natural resources at the rate we do now, by 2050, it could take three Earths to meet our needs. The Earth can't speak up when it needs help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future. Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash. Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle, unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting. Don't be that guy, unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Here comes our feature we call Let's Ask Mike, our installment this morning. As always featuring Mike O'Connor from the Birdwatchers General Store. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning to you, Ray. We have a letter here, an email, Mike, from Eva in Pembroke, Massachusetts. She says, Mike, I had some extra dried 
cat food that I put outside to see what would happen. Well, birds came to it in droves. I don't know what species they were other than being the regulars, but whoever they were, they loved the dried cat food. The following is my question for you, Mike. What is your advice about feeding dried cat food to the birds? Eva from Pembroke. I would Eva. think that maybe uh, maybe cats would come to it in droves also. <laughs> yeah, that would be the downside of that, wouldn't that? Yeah, oh my God. Well, wow. Eva, and I, and I hope I don't call you Eva by mistake, but that's my accent. Uh, you know, I, 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 I hear this question a lot, and I guess it's okay a little bit. Um, I think it would spoil quickly if you put it outside because it would, would soak up with the rain and turn mushy and disgusting. Yeah. A little bit probably wouldn't hurt the birds. I would pay attention to what kind of birds you got because that sounds a little bit like starling food to me. Mm. So um, I guess if starlings don't bother you, then, that, then that's okay too. Um, but I don't. I, I kind of worry what's in cat food. Mm. Um, I know they use it some kind of animal food in rehab where birds are injured and they kind of bring them back to health because I think there's a lot of uh, ingredients in there that are probably good, a lot of protein. Mm. But in terms of adding it to the a diet of a wild bird, I don't know if that should be a regular thing. So if you got a little bit out, put it out a little sparingly, especially on a dry day, but I wouldn't go buy like a 50-pound bag and start tossing that around the yard. You'll end up with starlings. you probably end up with some rodents you don't want either. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So just a little bit's okay, but don't go crazy on it there, either. Back, back up plan with the, with the cat food. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, and not out in the wet because otherwise you have gravy train. That's, that's for dogs, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> All right, Mike, thank you for that top quality answer. We will talk to you next week. Great. See you then. Okay. Got a question for Mike? Well, sure you do. Send it in to Ray at TalkingBirds.com. Don't put that G in there because then you'll wind up at a pet store in Albuquerque. Uh, Ray at TalkingBirds.com is the email address. Mike will answer the question. And as a thank you gift, we'll send you a signed copy of Mike's amazing new book, uh, why do bluebirds hate me? All right, back to the mystery bird contest. Trying to identify uh, this mystery bird. Can we hear that bird again? Pretty distinctive sounding bird. It dwells in damp, deciduous forests, foraging on the ground for insects in breeding season, fruit in late in summer and fall. Tawny brown upper parts, a buff-colored chest and throat, indistinct reddish-brown spots, a grayish-white belly, pale legs and feet, and dark eyes, a member of the thrush family. 781-837-4900 is the number. And we have Warren down in Cumming, Georgia. Good morning, Warren. Hello, Warren. Hello. Is that you, Warren? No, it isn't. This is Laura. Oh, Laura. Okay, well, I don't know what, what happened with uh, Warren. Have you seen him? No, I haven't. All right. <laughs> Where are you calling from, Laura? I'm calling from Hanover, Ray. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Hanover, Massachusetts? That's correct. All right. Well, thank you for calling. And uh, what do you think our mystery bird is, Laura? I think it's the very. I think uh, you might be right on that. Yes, the very. Exactly right. Nicely done. And we don't even know how you got here. But uh, <laughs> that's Okay. Well, uh, Warren, thanks for calling in from Cumming, Georgia, uh, and I uh, hope you'll try us again when we get our phone situation kind of figured out here. But uh, the Viri is correct, Laura. So um, are you looking forward to maybe seeing one this spring? That would be nice. Have you, have you seen one before? I have. Uh-huh. Where? Do you have some favorite birding spots? 
Oh, I do. I like to go to World's End. Mm, in Hingham. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful place. Yeah, World's End. Uh, officially one of the Boston Harbor Islands, even though it's connected to the mainland, but it is a wonderful place. Laura, if you'll stay on the line, we will get your address and send you that uh, beautiful Droll Yankees feeder, and good luck with the Veeries. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. A bird long thought to winter all across the northern third of South America, but there's a recent study that showed, in fact, the wintering grounds of that bird are restricted to just central and southern Brazil. Imagine that. And it comes up here, of course, to the northeast in the springtime. Meanwhile, we're getting ready to head south here with the Talking Birds uh, program. We're heading to Panama. We'll be broadcasting next week from the Sobararia National Park at the famous Canopy Tower and making some other stops uh, along the way in Panama from the near the Colombia border to near the Costa Rica border um, and looking forward to broadcasting from the tower on the 22nd. The executive producer of Talking Birds is Mark Duffield. Our engineer is Ryan Stanton. I'm Ray Brown. An early happy spring to you, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information.